This is Stacey Hillier, and you are listening to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. Well, today's a very special episode because I'm going to tell you right now why I'm doing this, why this episode is happening. I actually had a precious and valued listener email me and say, hey, I don't know about this topic and we need something on this. I'm having conversations everywhere and we don't have a resource we can put our hands on. And the question or the comment was all about what do I do once I receive a prophetic word? How do I process it? What what am I meant to do? What's my part in this? And I thought, you know what? I can do something about that. So this is a listener's choice or a listener's request episode. And I will do these every now and again if you send me what you want to know about. And so my email is Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at stacyhillier.com, and you can send your episode suggestions to me there. So today we are doing, what do I do with a prophetic word? And the reason is it's a reality that more people will receive a prophetic word than give one. Yet, often we teach on how to prophesy, but we don't teach much or very often on what what to do once you've received the prophetic word. There's a principle in the kingdom, the principle of stewardship, of sowing and reaping that applies to every aspect of our life. It applies to our finances, our relationships, our intimacy with God, but stewardship also applies to our prophetic words. So I want to ask you today, how are you stewarding your prophetic words? What are you doing with the invitations of heaven, which is what prophecies are, that have been declared over you? And of course, this podcast is called The Prophetic Collective. We're a collective of prophetic people. And I believe that everybody can operate in the spiritual gift of prophecy if they're saved, therefore filled with the Holy Spirit, who's the distributor of spiritual gifts. But do you know what to do when you receive a prophetic word? Well, let's talk about that today. And it's important that we do teach on this because I've noticed that when it comes to the prophetic words that we receive, sometimes we trust in the sovereignty of God in a way that's actually not biblical. Let me say that again. Sometimes we trust in the sovereignty of God in a way that is actually not biblical because in the kingdom of God, We are invited into partnership and a co-laboring relationship. And in this relationship, God will not do our part and we can't do his. But if we don't do our part, we actually put God in the position where he cannot pour out the full measure of blessing that he has and desires and delights to pour out on us. So what does this look like with the prophetic? It could look like you receive a word and you shelf it or you shelve it. You'll hear people say this. What we mean by that is they take the prophetic word, they write it in some journal somewhere, or they don't even write it down or record it. And they put it away somewhere saying, or I'm just trusting in God's sovereignty. If God declared it, God will bring it to pass. Well, can I tell you today to do that? is to fail to pick up one of the weapons that God has given us to aid in destroying the opposition and walking in the kind of abundant life that Jesus has purchased for us. Let's think about this concept for a moment of prophetic words like an invitation. 
A couple of years ago now, there was a very famous royal wedding, the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And the invitations in and of themselves were gold leafed and were sent out. It was like an extraordinary thing. The days that the day they were sent out, it was all over the media who was going to receive an invitation to Harry and Meghan's wedding. And each of those invitations in and of themselves were worth thousands and thousands of dollars because of the gold on them. When we receive a prophetic word, it is like receiving a royal invitation. Now, can you imagine being the one person who received that invitation from Harry and Meghan and did not RSVP, did not reply? Well, this is what we very often do with prophetic words from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a cliche, I know, but it's the truth. When we receive a prophetic invitation from God himself, we get a choice in whether or not we say yes in agreement to that word or whether we say, no, actually, I'm not prepared to do what is required to live the kind of life that could stand up underneath the weight of that prophetic declaration. You know, there are prophecies I'm living in the fruit of today that were prophesied 20 years ago. And in the in-between, God was making me the person who could house the promise. And this is often what he's doing with prophetic words. I've even noticed that when it comes to the prophetic words that we receive, that even within church culture, there can tend to be frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment with the prophetic because it's been declared and people are like, well, that was two days ago. Why aren't I living in it? Why isn't it happening? And this can lead to the exclusion of the prophetic or even things like saying that the person who delivered the word is a false prophet, when in reality, we haven't done our part. According to the New Testament and the New Covenant, there is as much responsibility on the receiver of the prophetic word as there is on the deliverer. Let me say that again. According to the New Testament, there is as much responsibility on the receiver of a prophetic word as there is on the deliverer. The problem is not the prophetic. We are the problem. When we are trusting and waiting for God to do the role that he has clearly assigned to us. When we trust God to do our role, it's not faith, it's presumption. He will not do our role, and there is a role for us to play when it comes to the prophetic words we receive. Listen to 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. A little bit of context about this first letter from Paul to Timothy. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy, who had been left to run the church in Ephesus. And the church was facing issues with false teachers and teachings. They were proselytizing a strict adherence to the law, an old covenant mindset, And they had become quite arrogant and greedy. And Timothy himself, who was a timid and shy person, was facing personal opposition in his ministry and his leadership. And he was beginning to doubt himself. And so his spiritual father is sitting there 
writing to his son going, what is the most valuable thing I could tell my son to do in this situation? What is the most useful thing I could tell him to do? The answer, he charges him to cooperate and participate in what had been prophesied over him and to war with his words. Now, Paul goes on in chapter 4, verse 14, and says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, you can neglect the gifts you receive through prophetic words. Now, Paul was talking about here Timothy's commissioning moment when the elders laid hands on him and They imparted gifts, they imparted grace for him to be able to lead the church in Ephesus. And Paul is saying, don't neglect the gifts you have, which were prophesied and imparted over your life when the elders laid their hands on you. Then in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, we're not given detail on the gift or the gifts that Timothy received or the gift, but we are told that Timothy should fan it into flame and operate without fear. How was he to do that? By picking up his prophetic words and waging warfare with them. Verse 18 of that passage again, where Paul says, fight the battle well to Timothy, wage the good warfare. Paul is using a wartime analogy here, and he often did this. In the Greek, this is three words, stratuo, kalos, strateia. What it means is stratuo is going into war or a soldier in active service. This is what a person looks like armed with their prophetic word that has been declared over them. Kalos, beautiful, magnificent, excellent in nature. Strateia, a campaign or a military service that you are enlisted in. So the translation could be, take your prophetic words and engage in a noble campaign with them. Approach it like a military operation Formulate a strategy. Can I ask you, listener, a question? How many of us approach our prophetic words this way, like a military operation with a formulated strategy? I have noticed one of the most defining factors of a prevailing Christian life has to do with what people do with prophetic words after they are received. In other words, it's not so much what is declared, but what you do with what is declared through prophecy. You see, the prophetic has purpose in your life, and it's not just to make you feel good. It may do that because God's a God of love who wants us to enjoy life. And you should feel good about what's prophesied over you according to the New Testament and New Covenant. But the prophetic also confronts false mindsets and sinful thought patterns and invites us to have new mindsets. In 1 Corinthians 14.3, we know it well on this podcast, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement and consolation, for their oikodeme, construction, building up, strengthening, for their encouragement, paraclesis, their comfort, their consoling, and for their paramythia, 
They're comforting at the point of sorrow. So your prophetic words are meant to do this when you receive them, but not just then. They're meant to do it over and over again as you treasure those words and war with them. They should build you up. They should comfort you. They should console you when you grieve, when you're feeling torn down. War with your words like Timothy did, like Jesus did, like I do. Jesus did this in the wilderness when he was led there by the Spirit. Satan came to him straight after his baptism. Did God really say, right after his father had said to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus threw the words from his father over his life back at Satan. So I want to get really practical. I want to teach you now how to do this with your prophetic words. It's important we understand that prophecy has a process. It's a three-step process. There's the revelation, the interpretation, and the application. Hey listeners, did you know that Stacy also has a guided prayers podcast? Contemplative prayer is a biblical and rich practice that helps us to step out of the hustle and to silence the noise to hear God's voice and to let his word dwell richly in us, transforming us from the inside out. With a new guided prayer released monthly, you too can discover the rich treasures of contemplative Christian practices. Find it wherever you listen to your podcasts by searching for Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier. Now, back to Stace. Revelation, interpretation, application. So the revelation part, that's the prophetic word. This is when God reveals something to a human vessel and the human vessel speaks on God's behalf or acts on God's behalf what is seen and heard from God's heart. So revelation is received by a receptor and then reported here on earth. The second stage is interpretation. This is where the recipient, more often not the recipient, sometimes the prophetic person will receive some interpretation, but more often than not in my experience, this is on the recipient to take what has been revealed and interpret what it might mean. I'll tell you why it's more often on the recipient, because God will speak to you in language and symbols that are personal to you and not to the prophet. That's how kind and loving he is. He might give the prophet or the prophetic ministry an image of something that they don't even understand. They're not meant to understand it. It doesn't pass through the mind. It's spirit to spirit. But as they declare it, it might be something that's so personal to you from your childhood and it encourages, edifies and consoles you. So it would be hard for the prophet to interpret that. They could speculate, but they actually get into trouble when they step into interpreting when God hasn't given it to them. So unless God gives the prophet the interpretation, they need to not step into it. This is the role of the recipient. What do those symbols mean to me? And that can be part of the interpretation. It's often not the job of the person delivering the message to interpret it. We have to do that hard work, particularly when it comes to prophetic messages in dreams. You know, an important element of interpreting the word is to test and weigh the prophecy. And we read about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, and also in 1 Corinthians 14, 29. So I want to give you some practicals here on how do I test and weigh a prophecy. 
some questions to ask. There are five. Number one, is it consistent with God's character and God's word? Number two, does it resonate with me? Number three, how do family, friends and leaders who love me and know me feel about this word? Number four, do I trust the source? Do they have anything to gain by prophesying this over me? Do they have any reason to try and manipulate me? Number five, does this word glorify God and draw me closer to Jesus? And as you filter through those things, what you're doing is you're keeping the meat and spitting out the bones. You're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. What I mean by that is there could be some details that are not right within that word. That doesn't mean you throw the whole word out. You keep the meat and spit out the bones. Because according to New Testament prophecy, we prophesy in part. If you look at Acts 20, you'll see the story of prophet Agabus, who prophesied over Paul using a prophetic act, a belt, a prophetic object that he tied around his feet and prophesied the way Paul would die or be martyred. Now, he was correct that Paul would be martyred, but some details in the story were wrong. And yet the Bible still calls Agabus a prophet. You can be a prophetic person and get some details wrong. The more important thing is that you represent God's heart accurately. So some people are getting set free by that right now. I'm not saying we don't want to handle prophecy well. And we're not trying to get details wrong, but it doesn't count you out if you do. And it also doesn't mean that if there are one or two details within the word that do not resonate, that you throw the whole word out. So is it consistent with God's character and word? Does it resonate with me? How do family, friends and leaders who love me feel about the word? Do I trust the source? Do they have anything to gain by prophesying this over me? Do they have a reason to try and manipulate me? Number five, does this glorify God and draw me closer to Jesus? So all have the Holy Spirit. And because of that, according to the New Testament, there is, as I mentioned before, as much responsibility on the recipient as the deliverer to test and weigh the word. Because the ability to prophesy according to 1 Corinthians 12 is not a sign of spiritual maturity. We often celebrate being able to operate in gifts as like, wow, that person is so Christian. Actually, the sign of spiritual maturity is spiritual fruit in Galatians 5. So according to the new covenant, it doesn't make a person a false prophet to have a wrong detail because nobody is infallible and we see in part. So that's the interpretation step. Let's talk about application, revelation, interpretation, application. Many of us stop at revelation or interpretation. And really the listener's question was this, how do I apply a prophetic word? Few people apply, which is why few people see prophetic words come to pass and don't feel victorious in the spiritual battle we are all in. So the application is to war with your words. And so I'm going to give you two really practical examples of how to apply and to war with your words. But first, let me just say this. It's important to understand that the prophetic will address our potential, not necessarily our present condition. And when we war with our words or we apply them, a major shift begins to take place on the inside of us. We begin to be transformed into the kind of person that this word can manifest in. We no longer see ourselves as bound to our present identity or circumstance, but are introduced to heaven's perspective. 
a New Testament prophetic ministry speaks to the high value and divine potential God has placed inside of us. So these steps I'm going to take you through, I've literally done this with hundreds of people. And at first they feel awkward and clunky, but you have to remember God has declared these things over you. And so I just give you permission to explore these practicals right now. So I'm going to share a word with you that was declared over me that I was like, oh, I don't see this in my life. I don't see any evidence of it. I don't feel like it. But as I began to apply it, I grew up into it. Here was the word. You were born with a sword in your hand. You are a fierce warrior. Your spirit has an impact on those around you. You assault the kingdom of darkness. You are like Lagertha. Now, I didn't even know who Lagertha was, but I received this word from a woman in um, the Australian Christian Church's movement here in Australia who is very influential. And I received this word. I wrote it I wrote it down straight away. I actually recorded it on my phone and then wrote it down straight away. And as I've processed it and researched who Lagertha was, she was a Viking who did take out many, many enemies wearing armory on her horse with a spear in her hand, which really aligns quite strongly with Ephesians 6 and our armor in God. So what I did when I took this word was I broke it down. The first thing we do is we form what are called I am statements. And this is teaching from Dan McCollum that I've now taught to hundreds of people that flips their lid and helps them apply the word and grow up into it. So what you do is you take that prophetic word and then you underline anything that speaks to your identity and you form it into I am statements. And I keep these I am statements in a collection on my phone so that when I am doubting what God has called me to do, I just open that note and I declare out loud or in my head, I am, I am, I am. So from that word, you were born with a sword in your hand. You are a fierce warrior. Your spirit has an impact on those around you. You assault the kingdom of darkness. You are like Lagertha. I came up with this. I am a fierce warrior born with a sword in my hand. I am impacting those around me. I am assaulting the kingdom of darkness. I am like Lagertha. So when I'm about to worship lead or about to preach and I'm feeling like I don't have what it takes, I sit there. I am a fierce warrior. I am impacting those around me. I am assaulting the kingdom of darkness. I am like Lagertha. And those prophetic words then actually begin to edify, encourage, console me. And I become a bigger spiritual person ready to declare or sing God's word. The second step I do is I pull out promises from the prophetic word and they could be absolute or conditional. What do I mean by that? Absolute promises are things within your prophetic word that are promises of what he will do. He's declared it. He will do it. Conditional promises are what we're really talking about in this episode today. The ones that require a level of partnership. Let me give you an example. We all know 2 Chronicles 7.14, which was actually delivered in a dream. If my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the condition here is if my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. Notice it's conditional on an action from the recipient of the prophetic word that came through a dream. 
In other words, if the people don't humble themselves and pray and seek his face, then God cannot hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So now I'm going to show you another prophetic word I received and how I did I am and the promises. This was the word from Dr. Michael Maiden over me. I see you, Stacey, like the conductor of an orchestra of prophetic people, and you see prophetic talent and awaken it. You are going to see more and more people rising up. It is because it is the right time. Some things haven't happened yet because the time wasn't right, and so the time is right. So here's my I am's. I am a conductor of prophetic people. I am able to see talent and awaken it. And again, I keep that in my phone. Then I underline, highlight, pull out any conditional or straight up promises within the word, absolute or conditional promises. And I turn them into thank you prayers. Here's what I got out of that one. Thank you for promising me that I will see more and more people rising up. Thank you for saying the time is right. Now, what that could look like in that previous prophetic word, thank you for saying that my spirit has an impact on those around me. Thank you for saying that I assault the kingdom of darkness. And you can see that. You can see I've pulled out promises, turned them into thank yous, and I've taken I am declarations. The thing is, the enemy knows that when we lose our identity, we relinquish our authority. And so the prophetic is purpose to remind you who you are. And whilst the Bible will give you your collective identity, prophecy will give you personal identity. So right there, I've just given you two ways to apply your prophetic words. I am statements and crafted thank you prayers from promises. Think about the life of Gideon for a moment. We find Gideon in Judges 6 hiding in a wine press. When an angel appears and the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That is not how Gideon saw himself, because listen to what Gideon said. How could I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That's how Gideon saw himself. But the word of the Lord came and said, you are a mighty man of valor. His internal and his external definers were off mark. But the angel came to disclose to Gideon how he was already known in heaven. He was not mocking his weakness. He was revealing his identity in heaven. And in the earthly realm, we would only call someone a mighty man of valor when they prove to be that. In the kingdom of God, you win battles because God says you are a mighty warrior. Before you win anything. You will win the battle because of what he declares over you. This is the power of the prophetic. We live up and into it. So what has been declared over you from heaven? Who does heaven say you are? I want to conclude this way. If we could think of our prophetic words as a check written out for us from heaven, how many uncashed checks do you have sitting around? How many promises do you have that you just never took to the bank? Do you have royal invitations that you have never RSVP'd to? Revelation, interpretation, application. We are invited to wage the good warfare with the prophetic words previously made about us. They're not designed to sit on a shelf. That will lead to frustration with the prophetic and the prophets. 
They are designed to be picked up, wielded like a weapon, applied to our hearts and to our lives. And there are further things we can do with prophetic words when it comes to application, things like making a plan. So if you'd had prophesied over you're going to be a location pastor or a church pastor or start a church, do you need to go to Bible college? Let's get practical people. We don't expect God to drop theology into our mind so that we be, we can become a teacher. There are things we must do, but we get to say yes or no. There's nothing wrong with the prophetic. It works. We've neglected our part. So I pray this has given you some handles today. How, what are you going to do with the prophecies previously made about you? Are they sitting on a shelf or are you waging a good warfare with them? So, Father, I thank you for the gift of prophecy. Thank you for what it's done in my life. Thank you it's called me up. Thank you it's taught me, it's corrected me, it's encouraged me and consoled me. Pray that would be the case for every believer today. As they sit and they write out their I am statements and declare them out loud, let something rise and come alive on the inside of them. As they pull out their absolute and conditional promises and craft them into thank you prayers, would they be filled with gratitude to you for who you say they are? Let them live into the fullness of that identity. Father, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use our hands, use our feet, use our mouths, use our hearts, use our lives. We honour you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening today. Next week, we kick off brand new collection, Say What? Where we focus on all the things that the Bible says that the church doesn't love to talk about. And we have some big things to talk about. So see you next week for Say What? Love ya. 